0: Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining me again for another Throwback Attack podcast. My name's Jack and over the next hour we've got some great memories of weekend mornings on ITV for you. Enjoy. So next up I'm pleased to have with me Jamie Rickers. Hello.
1: Hi Jack, how are you mate?
0: Not too bad, thank you. Yourself?
1: Not too bad at all. I think um, grinning um, grinning and bearing up, shall we say, uh, under all the... Uh, the lockdown conditions while the uh, COVID 19 sweeps the globe. <laughs> so pretty bored, that's the truth.
0: I <laughs> know, oh, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who uh, totally sympathise with you on that one.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, so it's tough for everybody, so uh, as long as uh, everyone's safe and well, chin up, you know, we will get through it.
0: Definitely, definitely. So, thank you for taking part today, and of course we're going to uh, discuss children's TV, uh, you know, back in the day. Uh, the first thing I wanted to ask is, is um, what was your path to becoming a TV presenter prior to your kids' TV work?
1: Um, I did a music degree. So, uh, I was at Colchester, there's, there's kind of three, when I was there, three establishments you had Colchester University, you had the Sixth Form College, and you had Colchester Institute um i've been back there since it's very very different now but when i when i was there uh, i did i left school at 16 and did my a-levels at colchester institute did my a-level music there You so i did a foundation course uh, or, or a performance course for a year and then i did a three-year degree so i was there six years and then i came out of that did a few bits and pieces and then um, and then found myself in telly
0: and what was the uh, the first job that you did in television
1: Oh, well, because I've done a few bits and pieces, uh, um, you know, for independent companies and yeah. trying to do bits and pieces. But the actual first job in proper television was in 1997. It was a show called The Weekend Show, and mm-hmm. it was with um, Andy Peters. He was the executive producer on it. Uh, He's also presented it with Emma Forbes, and uh, I was the runner on that. Oh, eight weeks.
0: And uh, when you were doing that, did you think to yourself, I'd like to do this? I'd like to do, do some kids' TV uh, I, presenting?
1: I, I, I thought of that when I was five. So I, I remember watching um, Chris Tarrant doing Tiz Was
0: mm.
1: when I was a kid and, again, and thinking to myself, you know, that's that's the job I want. I, I want to be a TV presenter. I want to work in that building. I want to be in front of a live studio audience. Um, I want multi camera and I want talk back, you <laughs> know, with a chat in your ear. So I, I've wanted that since I was five. So, um, you know, I did everything I could to uh, quan my way in and out of buildings before I actually managed to convince Andy to give me work experience. So, uh, yeah, I, I knew what I wanted from a very early age.
0: <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. And uh, one of the earliest shows you did um, was Up On The Roof, which went out as part of GMTV's Kids' Slot and Weekend Mornings. Um, for those who may not remember or have fuzzy memories of it, um, yeah. tell us a bit about that, that particular show.
1: Um, yeah, that, that was the first first show I actually uh, produced, directed, and, and presented. Mm. So, GMTV was a network. So, a bit of a strange one, this. So, you've got ITV, yeah, which is you know, channel, the old Channel 3, yeah? Yeah. Um, but GMTV owned the airspace from 6 until 9.25. So, GMTV was the broadcaster. We owned it. So it really, ITV had 9.25 in, in the morning until got the following day, so it wasn't, wasn't um, a 24 hour network because we own that kind of three and a bit hours, as it were. Yeah, so eventually, what happened is because we were, we were shareholders with, with Disney and ITV bought the remaining 25% of, of Disney, which effectively bought GMTV, so, i.e., it bought the airspace. So then ITV became that 24 um, hour network, as it was. That's the kind of simplistic way of looking at it. So, whilst I was working on GMTV, I wrote. We we had we had um, Pokemon. So what would happen is you come off the back of a, like a news hour or some some political show, I think it was, and then all of a sudden you would get this kind of adult graphic. Pokemon would be on, and then it'd go again. And then after that, I think the It, was Dig it, which then became called Diggin' It, which was made by Disney. And I came in. I was there to, originally I was asked to cut the um, the promos for Pokemon, and I said to my boss, Why haven't we got a presenter? Why can't we do this? Why haven't we done that? And to cut a very long story short, he just said red tape, politics, blah, 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 just just knock out the promos. And I had, I had a job with him for, um, for a month just to produce this stuff over Easter. Anyway, as it came to the end of the month, uh, he had a two-week holiday. And I said, look, whilst you're away, I need the work. Let me stay on for two months just to oversee what's going on in the department. Um, and I'll, I'll write you an idea for a show. And if you like it, we can talk about it. And if you don't, well, you know, GMTV can afford me for two weeks. I'm not very expensive. Or well, wasn't at the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so he, he went off. And while he was gone, I got hold of the Pokemon. And I cut uh, one minute out of the show. I'd look look at bits of it. And I'd chop bits out so I could make up a minute. And then what I did is I made um, a 30-second link either side. Because we were on tape. So I had to fill that that minute. Otherwise, we'd have a big black hole. Yeah. So then what I did was I got the graphics department to make like a a kiddie-style friendly graphic as opposed to this kind of newsy one. Put it all together and put it on air. So what would happen is it comes to the end of the news hour or whatever it was. there would be this kind of really kiddie-friendly graphic and then me going, Hi, welcome to Up on the Roof. And it was called Up on the Roof because I filmed it on the roof. It's on a (laughs) fire escape. We weren't supposed to be out there, but no one one questioned it and I just thought I'd try it until I get stopped. That was why it was called Up on the Roof. So um, I said, hi, oh, you know, welcome to up on the roof. We've got Pokemon on and coming up today so-and-so and happy birthday to whoever it was. And I was making it up. They were, you know, we had, no one knew who we were. So I was just making up birthdays and getting mates to say, look, tell us your birthday and I'll, I'll do a shout out for you. Then we go into the into Pokemon. And off the back of that, we had 30 seconds left. And I go, brilliant. More Pokemon, same time next week or tomorrow, whatever it was. Don't forget, send us your emails to this, that, the other. And I set up a, an email address um, for anybody writing to. See you later on. Bye. And all of a sudden, after about three weeks, our flatline, i.e. zero ratings, because no one was really watching or knew we were there, suddenly started to go up, i.e. we had an audience. And we could start charging more money. When you start charging more money, you've got more license fee. We can then negotiate more airspace. They eventually put um, a commercial break in between the start of, uh, or in the middle of Pokemon, which means I went from half an hour to about 30, 34 minutes, I think it was now, Two links to four links, because obviously we had top and tail both sides. And that grew. And then we got another cartoon and another cartoon. So we went from Pokemon being half an hour to three cartoons with three breaks and 12 links in about a year. Um, And that's how it started. And up on the roof, just suddenly gained momentum and got bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. So that's how it started. I literally took a chance and went, look, we've got nothing to lose. No one's watching it anyway. No one knows we're here. Let me, let me make people aware of that they we're here. And I said, go on then, on your head be it. And luckily for me, it worked. <laughs>
0: it did and it ran for uh quite a number of years and was very what, popular five years. five years yeah and um I, I was watching a few clips of it last night um uh, you know researching for this and um i have to say how on earth anybody at, you know eight o'clock in the morning can be that hyperactive and jolly um it takes a certain skill because that's something that i couldn't do but uh, you look like you're having a lot of fun anyway
1: well it wasn't we didn't shoot it it wasn't live
0: Oh, it wasn't live. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay.
1: It wasn't wasn't live. I I would be in the studio by about half six, seven. I said the studio. It was an office that we painted. Mm. Half six, seven o'clock, kind of tweaking scripts and getting things ready, sorting out cameras and blah, 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 blah. Um, But we didn't shoot it at eight o'clock in the morning. It was shot probably from 10 o'clock onwards. Um, And then I'd take that to the edit suite, do a paper edit, cut it all together, stick it on tape, and it'd go out, you know, eight days later, whatever it was.
0: Oh, okay. Fair enough on that one. Um, so that explains it then. <laughs> was... yeah,
1: that's, that's why I was always so wide awake. <laughs> yeah.
0: And um, I, I noticed as well that, like, in between the cartoons, there'd be lots of, like, little humorous sketches, but done on, like, a budget, which kind of made it funnier. I, I thought oh, that was quite good. And you look On Up on the Roof? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought I, I was um, looking at some stuff the other day,
1: actually. And we did things with, um, we just kind of, like, experimented with stuff. I think we had a lolly, i got one of those big. Big, big, circular, you know, lollipop things, which we, we made into a character, and I'd voice the character. Or in between that, we'd have we'd be to highlight what, whichever cartoon was coming up. So I would, you know, make a joke or do something related to the cartoon, and then we just, you know, the whole thing had to be humorous. It's, it's a tricky one because you had to make it fun, but not too, not too silly, because you, because we were on for quite a while, especially as it got longer. You suddenly pick up an older audience as you go through. And you also had to make sure that it was a safe destination. So when parents turn the TV on, I saw their kids watching, they know, you know, what is this? Oh, that looks okay. I don't mind the cartoons. The presenter looks all right. It's not too rude or whatever it happened to be. We don't mind the kids watching that. So you've you've got kind of three different levels of, of age groups of kids coming in, plus you've got to entertain the parents and make sure the parents feel safe to, to watch you. Um, so, you, have, you, you know, it's not quite, just a question of writing a script and making it funny. You've got to incorporate those different parameters, and obviously make the script slightly older as you're creeping mm. on through the morning. So yeah, quite a difficult at time.
0: Certainly. I mean, what was the one I saw last night? The sketch. It was uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Myrtle, I think it was. It was you uh, as oh, a, a schoolgirl right. that becomes a superhero. That's a bit like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I thought that was. Uh... <laughs> that rings a bell. I mean, we did
1: so many. I mean,
0: yeah. You
1: know, if, if you're on every weekend. For five years, and you've got twelve links. Each time, you tell you do the math: twenty-four links times 104. It's, it's a lot of links. Oh yes. You know, and different cars. We had different cartoons coming. It's um, you know, we were forever kicking out ideas. <laughs> some some work well, some didn't.
0: And um, I mean, in all that time that you did up on the roof, are there any particular highlights or funny moments that really stick in your memory that make you think that you know that was great? No,
1: we're going back twenty years. Um, <laughs> It got to a point where, um, because the show was doing well and we'd got uh, a bigger budget, I'd said, um, there was a meeting room and we'd, we'd gone in and painted at the GMTD Colours and got my dad who's a sign writer and artist to make some funky signs and we'd hung those up. <clears throat> but we often used, and there was a kitchen right next to it and the kitchen was horrible. But I wanted to use, I wanted to start using the kitchen um, and other areas of the, of, of the office. We were in a big warehouse. On the top floor of our warehouse, there's a lot of space, but where we filmed wasn't that big. So I wanted to make more use of of the office, so we had we, we could do more things. So I ended up getting a um, a mezzanine level, putting it over the top of the kitchen, with a glass floor in it, so you could so we could shoot up through the floor and shoot down to the floor. I redid the kitchen, so we got new dishwashers, new um, sinks, new new everything in there, and I w- I would do some silly comedy cooking stuff in it things like that. And then when we were doing, it was the turtles, as you came into the, to our, our floor, it was kind of underneath the, the, the eaves as the, the roof came down. And I had a design company come in and they built this um, inside the interior wall. So it looked like the inside of a cave. And we used to get um, trays of water. and We had broken mirrors in it. <clears throat> and we'd, we'd shine a light into them, um, onto the mirror. Because as the water swished backwards and forwards, it made the light bounce. I would then put on some silly dripping effects in, in the edit. And so when we, we were shooting into it, it sounded and looked like we were, you know, in the middle of this cave. And it was all dark and damp and dreary. And it wasn't. It was, you know, right next to the coffee machine. <laughs> so we had we had lots of fun. Um, it and was, it was kind of a sense of achievement that we'd gone from me standing on a roof, making up emails and, and birthdays, to actually... Spending thirty grand on a on a floor and a set that linked into the cartoon that that was probably one of the one of the defining moments.
0: Fantastic! Uh, from humble beginnings to something that you know became really huge. That's that's really cool. Yeah, I don't know, re- really huge, but it, it
1: it almost had a kind of mini cult following. You, mm. you know, it's, it's a lot a lot of people will come up and say, "Oh, I remember the apple on the roof?" and they'll start quoting things at me which I've forgotten about, but you know. It was, it's twenty years ago, over twenty years ago now. So it was um it was a
0: while back. Certainly, and um, I mean there was a few other shows around the same time that you were presenting, and I want to kind of touch upon a few of them. Um, there's one that I remember because it was it was repeated loads and loads, and it was on CBBC, and it was a game show called All or Nothing. That's right. Was was that good fun to do?
1: Yeah, that was that was brilliant. That was the uh, that was you know you have you have a dream or a goal something you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was what mine was. I wanted to be a CBBC presenter because mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of what I grew up with. BBC was, uh, you know, Philip Stroper with Andy Peters, all those kind of guys. Um, and that was my very first studio show where I had, I think it was like seven cameras. It was multi, multi cameras. I had a live studio audience um, and I had an, an open talkback. So I, I was suddenly not only was I just doing it, but it was for the BBC. Um, and I was in that studio. We filmed it in uh, Nottingham, and that was that was that was hard work. And that was really hard, um, but great fun. It, it's such a technical process, and, and the the practice of the games and, and and how we rehearsed it months before we got into studio uh, was was exhausting, but worth it.
0: Yeah, I guess it must be the crowning moment of glory for any kids TV presenter to get your own game show.
1: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, rather than just do the link uh, in between the shows, which is one of the things, you know, always a great fun as well. But to have your own series. We did two series of that. So I had about 26 shows go out uh, and we we shot them all, you know, in three weeks. But yeah, it was it was it was a sense of achievement. And I felt very proud about doing that. And the team I had around me were brilliant, you know, and we were all all together up in Nottingham in a a hotel for three weeks and a, a lot going on. Um, so yeah it was it was it was really good fun. And then obviously when that's finished we then have to go and do about a week's worth of voiceover. That yeah. was probably
0: harder than presenting the show. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I I had to look at it last night. I remember watching it. Um it, it, it was a good show. Um I, it what was it now? It was um was was it 4 Teams of kids, two to each, and, that, and I always remember that thing where to choose the teams. There'd be like a, a like a plinko machine. They put coloured balls which would kind of fall down and that's it would right. pick the team. Yeah. I remember four, that.
1: Four, four teams of two, and they would grab these balls and, and drop them in the top, and then they kind of bounce away all the way down, and then whichever one had the, the most balls in was was the team to start. I think that's, that's how we started it.
0: Yeah, and that to play all uh, like physical games and then...
1: Yeah, uh, there are loads of games, climbing walls and um, uh, like bowling tricks and jumping through hoops and target practice. And, I can't own I mean, there's so many. Yeah. It was, yeah. Um, yeah and a lot, a lot of that was... Um, we, we practiced a lot of those in, um, in the studios back at the BBC because um, a lot of it was, was done with electronics. Mm. And we had guys operating it from behind the scenes to make sure it all worked properly. So the technical side on that was, was immense, yeah, guy, you know, those guys did and girls did a really good job.
0: Yeah, they did, they did, and it was a great show. And uh, I, I remember it quite well, actually. It, it, like you say, it only had two series, but they they repeated it for years after. Oh yeah. well, yeah, yeah.
1: I remember that it was it was. Um, I used to get into the studio about half six, seven o'clock again, and I'd I'd practice. Um, I had three different marks on the floor depending on which which sequence or how they were going, to open, we were going to open the show. They'd say, right, we're going to do, do it this way or you know, version A, B, or C. <clears throat> but I used, to, I used to come on from stage left. So as you're looking at TV on the right, and Tara, my co-presenter, would come on the other side, and I'd practice for about an hour, every, literally every morning. I'd, I'd go in and I'd get a broom. I'd, I'd have the guys sweep up first. They were like, this is weird, the presenter's doing that. But you know, I, I wasn't interested in just being the presenter. I wanted to be in TV. And we were a team, so I'd sweep everything up so it wasn't flippy. Then I'd stand behind uh, the step where, where I'd come in, and I'd practice running out on either my left leg or my right leg <clears throat> and counting the steps and not looking at the floor. So I knew that when I ran out and was waving at the crowd and the cameras are going, and I'd get the cue in my earpiece, I would stop exactly on mark A, B or C without having to look, and I knew exactly where it was. But I'd practice that every morning for an hour before we, we went to air, as it were.
0: Wow, that's dedication. That is dedication. Of course, fear, <laughs> fear as well. Yes, yes. I'm sure uh, you know presenting a, a game show with with a group of screaming kids. I'm sure. I'm sure the fear does rack up a bit there.
1: Yeah, it's not so much the order. It's, it's the technicality behind yeah. it. Yeah, remembering the links. What you got to do. What you got to say. Um, if you know the auto key could go down, you got to carry it on. Which camera are you're looking at? They'll, sometimes they will swap or you'll get an instruction in your ear telling you to do something or move somewhere. And all while all that's going on, you have still got to be in command you're 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 the guy or the girl that is in control of that show which is when you know you watch someone like um uh, dermot o'leary when he when he's when he was presenting at the x factor and things like that and they come and that's when, when they're in full swing and they're interviewing people you can tell well i can tell not most of the time where if you look sometimes they'll talk to people on, on camera for 30 seconds other times it might be 10 and you know they've got to fill time or hold back time. And, and to do it that well, that slick, especially on a show like The X Factor, I mean, those guys are good. You know, mm-hmm. it, it takes, a, it takes a, a skill to be able to fill two time and not be rude and cut somebody off when you're being shouted at in the ear by the producer because you've got to make time. Um, and that, that's what people don't realise. So when you see all these guys and TV stars getting their own show, you just think, God, if that went down, they wouldn't have a clue. But if you, were, you can present properly... You can hold that show on your own, and that's that's the skill. That's what they're paid for. Well, that's what we were paid for.
0: Certainly, and that's the one thing you don't realise as a viewer: just the the, the the sheer skill. You know, people just think, "Oh, just stand in front of a camera and, and talk." You don't yeah, realise yeah, the sheer it's that, skill. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's, it's a lot more. It's a lot more than standing in front of a camera and, and talking. Anybody can stand in front of a camera and talk, but you've got to have. If, if you and, if you and I were having a conversation face to face, or you're talking to people. People are emotive, so people react in body language. They'll nod or they'll shake their head in agreement. The camera can't do that. You talk to a camera and it keeps still. If it moves, then the audience at home start to get seasick. All right? So there's no one responding to what you're saying, whether you say a joke or whether you're telling a story. There is no interaction with anybody behind that lens. So you've got to pretend that's happening. You've got to make yourself be wanted to be watched by those people um, in order to come back time after time. And that's where the skill lies. Being able to connect with whatever that demographic
2: or
0: that audience is. Yeah, certainly, certainly, and um, a couple of other shows that you presented that I want to mention. I mean, there was a few on CITV. The one in particular that sticks in my memory um, was a show called The Yuck Show, which was uh, about disgusting facts. I mean, that must have been a good laugh to do. Did that in Wales.
1: That was a bit like an early Horrible History kind of. Yeah. yeah, and I presented that with a girl called Naomi who does stuff on the BBC. She's lovely. Uh, yeah, we had great fun doing that, and we got very, very messy. Um, I'm trying to remember some of that. The one sketch I, re- I remember more than anything, it was about Henry VIII. I can't remember exactly what the sketch was, but I was dressed up as Henry VIII, and we had this big table full of food, and it was Naomi's link, so she was the one kind of running that item, as it were. And I was just told just to be obnoxious and loud and eat. Of course, I just tucked into this food like a pig eating with my hand. And we had to do the take twice because she couldn't stop laughing. And if you ever see that shot again, you'll see her eyes are glazed. And then she's trying, trying to hold back the tears and not, not do a third take. Cause I get mucking about. Um, and, she, and she did it brilliantly. So, I mean, it was, it was me mucking about being a real swine. But she, she was awesome. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it it was a great show. Um, I was trying to remember myself because, unfortunately, there seemed to be absolutely none of it on online for me to look at. But the um, the the one I remember sketch was I think there was one about gladiator sweat being used as a a love perfume or something like that many years ago. I seem to remember we were all dressed up as gladiators and, and Romans or yeah, something like that. that. Yeah, more, I can't remember. just can't remember
1: Egyptians <laughs> and you know, sucking the brains out of noses and all that kind of stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, there's a lot on there. But I think that was that was before before people were kind of like really into streaming it on YouTube and downloading yeah. it or uploading it, as it were. Um, it was kind of that's how old I am. It was, it was kind of pre-YouTube. Pre-YouTube, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. It's amazing though how many old shows now make their way onto YouTube that people have uh, recorded and kept. Um, I mean, yeah, there's certainly uh, tons of yeah, yeah. tons some of, of the networks doing
1: it. They'll, they'll kind of get the archives and, mm. and they'll stick it out there.
0: Yeah, it is nice when they do that. Yeah, it's great. A, a, a similar show to the Uck Show, because um, it was also you know about fun facts and stuff like that. Was Prove It? Um, I love that show. I thought that was great.
1: Well, that's got a long story. Prove It. That was um, that was fantastic. I, I auditioned um, for that, and originally it was going to be um, usual duo, a boy and, and a girl, and then the the exec saw saw it. And were like, I wonder if it'll work with two guys. And uh, there's a guy called. Um, Joe Challenge, who I presented with, and he was actually a CBBC presenter, and my ex was one of his producers, and he and I met him a couple of times, and he was a good laugh, good-looking lad, Joe, and he came down for this audition, and we clicked like a, house, like a I'd, I'd never not known him, and we sat in this room to practice his, because I, I already had the job, so I was we were looking for a, a, a number two presenter, and he came in, and we sat, and we, and we started ad-libbing, And we went through every style of TV you can imagine. News, kids, factual, adult, lifestyle, cooking. Anyway, the producers knocked on the door. Are you two ready yet? Oh no, hang on a minute. (laughs) We had had to practice this sketch. And it was the the ostrich one we did, which we actually shot for the the main show. And um, he left the audition and I said, it's got to be Joe. It's just got to be him. Uh, And we did two series uh, literally all over the country on two separate years. And it was, we had them That's probably the most fun I've had on location. We had such a good time and did so many cool things.
0: Yeah, I I remember it well um, because it it was a show about science and proving facts. Um, I was trying to remember some of the ones that I remember. I remember one and it was about human hair can lift like a human person like on a crane uh remember one about pendulums and used to well, go the, the pendulum time. one had my mum in it yes i remember yeah, yeah I, remember.
1: I, I, I didn't know that but we, we did this outside in, on in the uh, in the car park at, at, at uh, the maestro studios so basically the pendulum is like, like so if you get a swing and you pull the swing back up to your chest and let go it will only go back the other way as, as high as where you started it from it won't go any higher. No matter how, how high you hold it and let go, it won't go any higher than the original start point. And every time it then comes back, it gets lower and lower. So they tested this thing with a lever. So as it came up the other side, if it touched the lever, it would open up the gun tank and, you know, our researcher was going to get covered in guns. So we kind of had to set it so it didn't quite touch. And it was all fat, all fine. And we, we did the rehearsal. And they put me back behind the, the big crane. And I went, right, action. And as I came around the corner, I can see out the corner of my eye that the person in the tank wasn't the researcher, but I can't look yet because I'm still supposed to be talking to Joe and doing my line. And then as I get level with it, I'm like, "Oh my god, it's my mum!" And I know what's going to happen. She's going to get if this goes wrong. She's going to get covered. And I'm like, "Hello, Marie." <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was. was I and mean, we did the same with Joe, and a lie detector. We got his mum in for that. So um, yeah, we did things like um, do sharks. Do sharks always attack humans? Um no, prove it, so they threw me in a in a shark tank and made me swim with sharks um and' the bungee jump in and oh there's all kinds of stuff going on. it was great
0: it was it was just a shame that it didn't seem to run for for very long, but that was about the time when CITV kind of pulled all its uh in-house production sadly
1: yeah they, yeah, it was a very political decision um because it was, it was a show called how and how to mm. then prove it it was it was a new it was a new kind of factual entertainment science show. And it rated well, um, but then I shan't mention names, but certain people came in and decided uh, they they didn't want that kind of thing anymore um, and then moved across to the BBC and ruined Kids' BBC and then came back and re-ruined CITV whilst the BBC then rebuilt everything that this particular person had destroyed. Um, And when this person came across to Y T V we all panicked, and and rightly so, because suddenly my department was shut down and 35 people lost their jobs overnight. So we kind, of, we kind of knew it was coming. But then I, I rewrote it. I, re, I, I rewrote the show. and It was called um, I Say. Yeah. And one of the guys that was going to help me with it, um, a guy called Ted Bader, we'd worked together on stuff, and he had a cartoon called Like a Mice from Mars that he'd created. And so I knew him from the kids' sector. And we flew out. because The show Prove It was massive in France. It was the biggest or highest-rated uh, children's show on their kids' network called Gulli. Okay, So I spoke to the, to the French producers and said, look, here's the idea. Can we come and see you? And they said, yeah, please do. So Ted and I flew to Paris and said, look, this is what we're going to do. Here's, here's the content. Here's the context of what we'll do. We'll shoot it in France. If needs to be, we'll use your team, blah, blah, blah. We'd like you to kind of co-invest. Um, and they eventually came back and said, we've only ever co-invested in animation, cartoons. We've never done it with live action. Um, we don't want to do that on this one. But what we'll do... Is we will give you a hundred percent guarantee that if you make it, we'll buy it. But I couldn't get um, CITV or anybody over here to, to fund it, so um, it never happened. It, was, and it would have cost probably about at the time seventy grand a show, sixty grand a show. <clears throat> you know, and it was far too expensive for me to, to, to afford one show, <laughs> let alone mm. twenty six.
0: <laughs> it's a great shame, great shame, but yeah. a good show, good show. Uh, yeah. Good I remember it well and they did They again they, they did re-air it quite a lot for quite a while um, yeah I got
1: into a bit of trouble because when I, they, they when they repeated um, uh, what was it um, All or Nothing yeah we, we were still doing um, Up for the Roof or then Cinematic at, at, at one point and I was on both the BBC BBC One and CITV at the same time <laughs> my boss wasn't very happy I said well it's not my fault I didn't schedule it and I shot these you know at different times it's not, not my fault they are on at the same time. But, yeah, I was on the BBC and ITC at the same time for, for about six months.
0: <laughs> Just couldn't get away from you on the telly. Well, <laughs>
1: like, yeah, and that, now I'm nowhere to be
2: seen. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And I um, like you know during the time that you uh, were doing Prove It and the Yuck Show and all that, you were still on weekend mornings and like you say up on the roof. Then became Toonatic, um which again ran yeah. for five years, um, and you, it was basically the follow on from Up on the Roof, wasn't it? It Was just the next generation of, of that show, like a yeah. Continuation. What happened
1: was we started eating to the, um, the Disney ratings quite heavily, and we looked at how much we were paying Disney for their studio show and for their animation compared to what we were giving to, to us uh, for a longer time a longer time slot and the ratings we were getting. So the director of programs came up to me and he said, um, could we do an entire weekend? And I said, well, we could, but we couldn't sustain it. We'd, we'd have to have a, you know, it, up on the roof is, is too small a show to sustain for that amount of time. We needed a, a studio-based show or a links based show. So he said, okay, write me a plan. So myself and two of my colleagues as my head of department and another girl, we kind of put this plan together and created Um And, yeah, that kind of literally, after we got that set up, we came off there from being up on the roof, and I think it was about the following week or a couple of weeks later, boom, we were, we were back on with Tsunatic. And that was a much, much bigger show.
0: It was. It was yeah. uh, a big studio show, and you had a co-host as well, Anna Williamson, and a, and a group right. of kids each weekend, Boys versus Girl Battle. Um, yeah. Must have been good fun.
1: Yeah, it was great fun. Uh, uh, had its moments, like you know, all jobs do. But you have to remember, the bit that you see on TV is, is the final glossy, you know, shiny floor version mm. of a week's worth of fast turnaround production and ideas, you know, several hours of a studio retaking certain bits, then an edit and all the polish, and, and off it goes again. So we did have a lot of fun doing it. Um, but yeah, it was, again, very technical. And sometimes, especially if you're not feeling well, we shot that very early in the morning. So you'd walk in and go, the last thing I want to be doing is jumping around the studio with bright lights and screaming kids and getting covered in crap. <laughs> but you have to go, woo! Yeah. You know, Mine's and we're off.
0: Yeah, it goes to back to my question earlier about, you know, the early mornings. I mean, was Tunatic live? or was No. That pre- no, no, no
1: okay. That was pre-recorded.
0: That okay.
1: Was pre- but we, we shot it as live, so what would happen is that we'd, we'd run and tape record it and if we got it done in one, move on. Yeah. That, that was it. Very Very seldom because we don't have much studio time
2: so mm. very
1: very occasionally we we'd reshoot a couple of links or I then go oh, we can do it better than that or that the timing wasn't quite right, we can make it funnier or slicker and we we'd have the luxury to, of, of redoing it um and we could we could we could get away with or we could do more because it was pre-recorded so we could we could stage certain things whereas if it was live, some of the sketches that we did we would never have been able to do. Mm. Uh, because you couldn't cut quick enough or change costume quick enough. Yeah. So the 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 luxury of doing a, a pre-record was the fact that we could have more fun and and do you know more more camera trickery as it were.
0: Yeah, certainly. Uh, it was it was a good show. And uh, like like I say, there was this boys versus girls battle between the kids on the show. Yeah. Uh, lots of crazy challenges that you. I mean, you've ended up loads over those five years.
1: Yeah, hundreds of them. There was one that was uh, what was it called? The one where a smash and grab, that was it. Smash, smash and grab. So you had all these, I'd ask the boys a question or I'd ask the girls a question. Dan and I would kind of like, we'd, we'd ask opposing teams. If they got the question right, they kind of smash their hand to one of these numbers and then pull out a prop. And it would be, you know, swap points, add points, deduct points or whatever it happened to be. And 99 out of 100 times, I was I would lose that one. I'd be way ahead on the points throughout the morning. We'd play this poxy game and I'd lose, I'd lose everything. <laughs> So, I don't know if you remember Outland Deck's Wonky Donkey?
0: Oh, yes, fantastic. Where it had
1: to rhyme, and then Deck would deliberately get, you know, cross. Um, because people would say things that wouldn't rhyme. He'd scream at them down the yeah, line. I remember. Brilliant. So I kind of nicked that idea of, on this particular show, to on this particular game. So whenever it went wrong, I decided to really start to lose. I'd really go nuts at, the, at, at my team, which, of course, they loved. They thought it was hilarious. And <laughs> so when we cut cameras, they'd be crying and laughter. And I got I got I got one complaint about it once. <laughs>
2: some
1: some dad had written in saying that he didn't like the fact that I was shout at the at the boys, uh, which I think I, I spoke to him on air and just said, turn over them. Don't care. <laughs> don't like it. Don't watch. <laughs> you
0: know,
1: I'm sure you've got Sky. Where have got five million channels going? Watch one of them. <laughs>
0: They'll never get your presenting points of view. That's for certain. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <the> Opinionated. <laughs> Oh fantastic stuff. And um, um I mean yeah like I say you, you looked like you had an absolute blast doing that. And I thought there was there was a great on-screen partnership with you and Anna, Anna Williamson. It seemed like you really got on with each other and, and uh, yeah,
1: was she was we're like brother and sister really. Mm. Um she's great. She's a very good presenter and we had yeah, we had, we had a really good chemistry. Um she would there'd be a look because I I used to come off script all the time. We'd, we'd, we'd know the script inside out, which is why we'd have so much fun with it. And if something would happen, or because obviously it's a very fluid situation, so you've got, you've got your script and what you've got to say, there's no auto cue. So we'd, we'd, we'd learn everything we were doing. And if something would happen, or I'd see an opportunity, I, would, I'd look at her and she'd know instinctively that I was about to do something. And so she, she'd give me that, she'd feed me the line, or she'd, she'd give me the space to do it, and then she'd run with it with me. And vice versa, if I saw her off on one, or she kind of reacts something, I'd let us. We'd go off script, and I'd, and I'd let her do the same, um, so we could really enjoy what was. going And then you would bring it back onto script and, and finish the link. Uh, yeah, but we, we had um, we had a lot of lot of lot of fun on that.
0: I want to kind of go on to key moments in the show, and there's there's two in particular I want to bring up first yeah. before asking you about about yours. One of which I didn't actually know happened until. Looking online for research, and I've got to ask: Did this actually happen? Because he I was know, just saying sounds... I know
1: where you're going to go. go, on, go
0: okay, on. so I read online that some time ago you and Anna were filming a sketch for Toonatic out in London, dressed in combat gear, flak jackets, and waving around glittery hair dryers as if they were guns. And apparently, you got stopped by anti-terror police. Is this true? Sort <laughs> of. The okay. show was
1: called um, Dork Hunters casted, it wasn't a brilliant casted, and we were trying to do uh, a sketch in, in between the, the part one and part two to try and boost the ratings. So we, we would run around trying to find these, these weird aliens and then we'd, was like Ghostbusters really, yeah. we'd pull out our hairdryer and we'd, we'd aim at them. Um, and then we put all the effects on in the edit and we'd also get the points. And we were shooting up by the uh, the Millennium Wheel, uh, which is just out from the studios. And we had a full crew, you know, and we're all dressed in city gear. and We had a, there were um, stab proof jacket, that's what we had on, like, like, a, like a body there, yeah, but covered in velcro. And I had trains and planes and sweets and all kinds of stuff hanging offline. And on my belt was a blue, I had a blue hairdryer, and Anna had a pink hairdryer. And this, it was normal police. This particular uh policeman came up to us and said, You know, who are you, what are you doing? and we showed him the permits, all that kind of stuff. Um, and he just, oh no, it was a, it was, a, it was a, a female police officer, that was it. A female police officer came up to us and said, what are you doing? And we showed all the stuff. She said, oh, that's fine. You know, I hope it goes well. We were chatting away. And as she was doing that, this this other police man came up and started to kind of, you know, flex his muscles and go, well, I want more detail. I'm like, come with us. We'll take you to the studio if you like. It's 300 yards away. And he wasn't having any of it. So he said, I'm holding you here under Section section 22 of the old Anti-Terrorism Act. Doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> and I said to I said to my "Get the cameras rolling, just film all of this." So he kept the cameras going. I obviously, it all finished, and he, he had a pad, and he wrote this, all the this stuff down, and he said, to him, right, read that and sign it, please." So I read it, and I said, "No, I'm not signing it." So he said, "Why not?" So I said, "Because you, the reason you stopped us, well, the reason you're saying you stopped us is because you thought we we were, had some kind of weird gun." And I said, "It wasn't. It was a blue spangly hairdryer." I said, if you write down, you stop me because you saw a blue spangly hairdryer, I'll sign it. If not, I'll not sign it because you haven't mentioned it. And he said, no, I'm not writing that. I said, I'm not signing it then. We'll have to do it at the police station, which is only up the road. So he went, all right, give me the pad. So he then wrote into, onto the pad and stopped Mr. Rickers due to the fact he was carrying a blue spangly hairdryer. <laughs> and I signed it. <laughs> and that was it. But then that night or the following, I think was the following night, we, uh, we then sent the, the, those rushes off to ITN and, it, it, yeah, hit the 10 o'clock news.
0: Really? Do you know what? Until yeah. last night, I didn't know that happened. It was literally just through doing Google searching about Tunatic for research that the, the old article came up. And I was like, no, that didn't really happen. I've got to ask him that. That's a fantastic story.
1: Yeah, but well, it wasn't anti-terror police. It was just it was, it was um, it was a female police officer that obviously did what you're up to, and she was fine, and it was just this younger... Um, was a, of a police man that, you know, stood on her toes. We were like, we've already done this with the, with the female mm-hmm. officer. Leave us alone, and he wasn't having any of it. And the funny thing was, while we, we were standing and he was checking us all out, this mother walked past her two kids. And <laughs> the oh, Jamie, can we have your girl? <laughs> so we had a joint photograph with us and the both the police officers. It was quite funny, <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I read the story on uh, on uh, a certain newspaper website. So you know they always like to bend the truth a bit and add you know add a bit of uh, you know a bit of saucy gossip to it. So it did say anti terror yeah. police, but you know even just the fact you were stopped by police for carrying around a, a glittery hairdryer is just funny. Yeah, exactly. It
1: was a great one. God, you said you had the defining moment. Go on, what's the
0: other one? Uh, the other one is having Charlie Brooker on the show. That um, <laughs> was quite oh, bizarre. Right. Uh, what what did you think of that? Well,
1: that was great because. One of the producers came to us and said, look, I forgot the name of the show was called now. um, It was Charlie
0: Charlie Brooker's Screen Wipe.
1: Screen Wipe, that was it. They said they they want to come and do this thing on Kids Presenting and they want to have a look at you guys because it's a popular show. Of course, everybody went, oh, yeah, great, get him on. And I was a bit dubious at first. And and they said, what's wrong? I said, yeah, it's great. They said, but he has a very, usually what he does, he looks at stuff. And if he doesn't like it, he slates it. And if he slates up, bearing in mind that we're up against the beam, it could be damaging. We've got to be, got to be sensitive on how he approached it. So all that was thrashed out anyway. He came on. He was lovely. He was a really nice guy. I mean, we did a couple of opening links with him. where we said, there's your script." And I gave him, I think it was about 35, 40 seconds to learn the, to learn the link. I took it away. He said, I haven't learned it yet. And I said, that's it. That's all your time you we got. <laughs> we've got 12 of these to do and an hour and a half to shoot it in. So you haven't got a second chance. And he went, and he came off at the end of it. And he went, "Christ, he I don't know how how you—not just Anna and me, but other you know kids—doing the same kind of stuff so, and as live or, or or live links. How you learn it so quick, and how you, how you control it so fast and move things like it's, it's it's really really fast." Um, and I said, "Yeah, it is. But it's conditioning. It's like anything. Once once you get into a job, when you get used to it, it becomes the norm." Yeah. So you, you know, if I went to go and do say your job, and I'm operating a, a radio desk. I mean, when I first went into Hart and was looking at stuff, and I was like, "I'm never going to learn this," you know. And after three weeks practice, you kind of mix it and fade it and flip into the nose. You know, it's like you do it. Yeah. And it's, it becomes a norm. Anybody else looking at you goes, "How the hell do you do that?" And it's practice. That's all it is. It's like learning an instrument.
0: Yeah, certainly becomes second nature. Yeah, he was, after he, it. He, he was he was great. And <laughs> it's just it's just bizarre that he, he was on it in the first place. Uh, did did that actually go out on CITV? That one or was it just part of... No,
1: that, that went out
0: on his show. Oh, OK. Oh, I, I, I wondered.
1: Channel uh, 4, I think, or Channel 5, I can't
0: remember that. BBC 4. I used to watch it, it. BBC 4, was it? I used to watch it. Um, it, was, yeah. it was quite a funny show. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was just just a bizarre thing to see, but, yeah, it looked like uh, you, yeah. had, you had good fun doing that. <laughs> uh, like I say, I was going to ask about your key moments, your favourite bitches. Yeah,
1: I mean, I mean as, a, as far as a defining moment goes, I mean, there weren't any really defining moments because we had so many different kids on there and mm. some of the kids were just, Brilliant. I mean, there was one bit where the kid had to stick his face, or both kids had to put their face in this tub of custard and pull things out, and the kid was so small. It's on on YouTube actually. I, I lifted him up, and it looks like I'm drowning him, and he's literally covered from head down to his waist in custard. Um, and he was such a good sport. I mean, you wouldn't be able to do that now on kids' TV. But there were there were incidents like that, and the kids were brilliant. But the one the one that, that made a particular tabloid paper, shall we say, was. Um, Jamie Jamie Rickers goes naked on, on on kids TV, and we had a <laughs> we had another complaint from this woman. who's all online in South End, Disgusted to see that that allowed children's present to go naked, and the children were clearly embarrassed and didn't know where to look. And it was rubbish. We removed the children from the from the studio, and I was wearing boxer shorts, just mm. like you know normal boxer shorts, and a, a, a skin a skin tight. Skin coloured tights on, yeah, over over the top, um, and then in front of me, I had a big cardboard board with competition details on it, so you couldn't actually. And then obviously, my top was, was was off, you could see the wire, but you couldn't see anything from really from below my neck down until down to below my knee. That was all, I was totally covered. That's the fact that I was wearing clothes. And then once we we shot that bit of me walking out pretending to be naked, we brought the kids back in. I was clothed, and then I walked down again, and we shot just the kids. You'll never see me and the kids in the shot at the same time. Yeah. And, we, and we got them pointing, and then we cut it together, so it looks like I'm walking in between them. But yeah, but we did two different passes. But that hit the news and all the rest of it. You know, as soon as you get a complaint about being naked with children, you know, you've got to be a bit sensitive towards it. <laughs> but our, our producers and legal team were brilliant. They were like, it's crap, but go away. <laughs> <laughs> uh... That
0: was funny. Certainly, certainly, it was. It was a chaotic show, absolutely mental, but good fun. Yeah. Very funny.
1: We we had we, had, yeah, we had a, a big strong team. There's probably about twenty other people in the production office. And that's before you get into into, into studio where you've got lights, cameras, all your gallery crew. So you know your directors, uh, PAs, uh, <clears throat> sound engineers, light engineers, or, you know, floor managers, all that kind of stuff, cameras. So by the time you've gone from production <clears throat> into into the studio, and then obviously when you come out of the studio, you've got your editors and all that kind of stuff. Um, a great team. know yeah, people come, people go, people move on. Um, yeah, we were very lucky to be blessed with a very, very talented team over those five years.
0: Great stuff. And um one of the things that happened at the end of every show, um, either yourself or Anna would would end up with large custard pies shoved in your face at the end. Yeah. Um And uh, from what I've heard from other presenters that I've spoken to, receiving a custard pie can sometimes be uncomfortable or painful. Was was it ever for you? Was it ever a, a not pleasant experience? Or
1: it's only painful if you get hit hard, like getting punched in the face. But Anna and I never, you know, we, we knew what we were doing. But sometimes the kids would do it and they'd, they'd really zap it to you. And that, you think, you know, almost bust me in. One kid in particular did it. He's just overexcited and, and and pushed this thing in. And, you know, I think he was thought he was starting Mike Tyson or something. And then he'd not me clean over. <laughs> He's a big lad. He's like, oh, it could be sore. But as far as the actual custom end, it we we were just using um, shaving foam and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So as long as you get your eyes closed, it, it, it was fine. Yeah. We, used, we did it with cream in a very early show, long before stuff on the roof. And uh, it was cream, and that kind of goes up your nose and your ears, and it's up your nose for weeks
2: till so it just it, it sets. Horrible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's the thing with you know, if you, if you want to be a kids' TV presenter, every now and again you've got to expect to get covered in guns and pies. It just comes with a name. Yeah, it's
1: part, part of the it's prerequisite. <laughs> yeah.
0: it's, uh, it's basically like the, um, the rites of passage of being a children's TV presenter.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to come into your career at some point. Yeah, <laughs> children passing out, covered in guns, and animals are crap everywhere.
0: Apart from that, you're right. <laughs> Definitely. And uh, I mean, like I say, popular show ran for for five years, and then all of a sudden it just ended suddenly in 2010. Which, to be honest, I didn't think it was. It doesn't seem that long ago, but it's been it's been ten years yeah, yeah. now.
1: Yeah, um, and we got a bit of grief for that because um, you know people a lot of a lot of tears, a lot of angry parents. Across that it had suddenly stopped, and oh, Jamie and Adam must have been given a better offer. And where we go, and it was all rubbish. We we were told in March that um, we were going to be made redundant in May, so we had like eight uh, March, April, May, yeah, eight weeks <clears> or <throat> nine weeks from when we were told. And um, we, whilst that was running, we shot another pilot for another style show, which reduced the cost because it was a money thing. Um the show that we, I won't go into politics, but. show that we produced and had was even cheaper but better looking than what they've actually replaced it with i know that sounds like sour grapes but it's all on tape and the facts are all there for anybody ever wanted to see them but it was political they they bought into gmtv and they got rid of the gmtv kids department and they just moved the citv department in it was just a political move and they were like you've got eight weeks and you're out of a job and that was it and it was quite a bit of backlash You know, well, why have you left? Our kids are upset. You're like, you're upset. I've got, I've got no money now. (laughs) And it was, it was literally, the rug was just pulled under our feet. Thanks very much for the last ten years. See you, bye. And that was it, gone.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, when you did that last show, were you really sad? I imagine you were.
1: Yeah, I thought I'd be okay, and then we had a bit of fun and lots of, you know, reminiscing. And then there's one link where they open the door and. We had a lot of kids that were quite regular on the show, and these, all these kids came flying through, and that's what got me. I saw the kids for the last time. I was like, "Oh, I'm not going to work with them again. They're so cold." That 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 really upset me. Yeah, it was a very sad day. There were there were crew and camera guys in, in tears. It was kind of like we cannot believe this is happening because mm. uh, it was it was such a family and such a team, um, and it wasn't even like, "Oh, we're coming in the run and we're going to we're going to go," you know, up on the roof to tunatic to something else. It was like no. Um, we're going to use a different department and we're going to give them less money and you're out of a job, thanks, bye. It yeah. was, it was, it was a kind of finality and the, the harshness of, of how it was done, you know, real, real corporate stuff.
0: Yeah, I think what I think what's the nice thing about that though, if you think about it, is that uh, Toon Attic and Up On The Roof are still well remembered by the people who watched it, whatever he placed it. I couldn't tell you what that was, because I don't know. Um, you know, so it's, yeah, it's no, a show that's looked back fondly on.
1: Yeah, I mean, we had great fun... It's fun doing it. And actually, you know, being treated like that, as, as horrible as it is at the time, it does teach you, you know, a really good lessons in, in business moving forward. And there's been other times in my career where things have start, I've seen things start to go a certain way. And rather than try and go, well, I should be loyal to the show and listen but you have to go, no, no, I'm going to look after me now. And then you, 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 have, to, you, you have to become hard and selfish and go, I'm not interested. Yeah. When this stops, I've still got two children I've got to pay for. I've still got a mortgage I've got to pay for. You know, I've got a life. I've got this, All this stuff needs, needs funding. Mm. You know, and it's all very well being nice and friendly. And, oh, isn't it sad? But at the end of the day, you need to eat. You need, you need to make money. So it, it was, it was um, a harsh lesson to be taught, but one I'm glad I did.
0: Certainly. And off the back of Toonatic, Attic, um, you and Anna went on to present for Nickelodeon for a while.
1: Yeah, well, we got called into the, the meeting room. We were actually sitting in makeup. At the time, And one of the producers came downstairs and said, um, uh, we've got an emergency meeting in the boardroom. So we got we kind of whisked up in the boardroom and given the bad news, you know, in eight weeks' time, maybe the, whatever it is, you, that were your last show. And um, we came out, and I went back into makeup, and I rang my agent, and I said, call Nickelodeon, call Disney, and call the Cartoon Network. Anyway, a week later, I had a meeting with uh, Nickelodeon, um, and I said, look, can we do this? Can we do that? Can you, have you got a production company? Can, can you produce it? And I went, yeah, that's fine. I'll work out costumes. <clears throat> I looked at all of that, went back for a second meeting. And I said, why don't, why don't we get Anna to come as well? What? it's not just, not just me. Why don't we bring Anna? And he said, will she do it? And I said, well, think about it. You've got two kids presenters that have been, and the whole team booted off the ITV network. At the, and the show was the highest rated kids um, show at the time on, on the weekend. And Nickelodeon has. I got it. It's a great marketing tool for you. He said, "Absolutely, will, will Anna do it?" And I said, "Yes." Yeah. And he said, "Well, how do you know?" And I said, "Because I rang her three days ago and after <laughs> <laughs> So she came in with her agent on what was my third meeting and her first one, and we signed the contract there and then, and off we went. And we did two years at Nickelodeon.
0: Yeah, and was it like straight, like pretty much tunatic one week, and that finished, and then next week or a few weeks later onto Nickelodeon? Was it, was it quite seamless? it was a couple of months.
1: A couple of months. So we we had um we came off air in, in May, I think it was, 2010, um and back on air a couple of months later. So yeah, we we come out of that contract, gone into Nickelodeon to, to do the setup and the uh, the prep before we shot it, and then away we went. Yeah, it was a couple of months. So yeah, it was it was quite quick.
0: Yeah. And you had good fun presenting on Nickelodeon as well?
1: Yeah, great, great fun. Again, um, a lot of the team though was the Tunatic team. I brought them with us, um, so there was the, the, and then we had, obviously there were new, new people in there. But it was it was a kind of like a, a, a scaled down version of, of Tunatic. Yeah, uh, some of the key guys came across, um, and, and, off, and off we went. So it was it was, it was almost like we would just been on holiday and came back to start again, but mm. on a on a kind of smaller budget. But, but saying that, some of the stuff we did with that budget was how we started doing up on the roof, but we've made it look like tunatic. The producers were, were brilliant and what we could do with that money and how we did it. Um, again, just shows the talent of, of some of these guys and these girls that, that, that were working at, at the time. And again, that grew. We did we went into the weekend show for, for um, Nickelodeon and then we did um, Camp Orange. So we, we had, we had, you know, everything just kind of gradually grew. And we had a two-year contract and fulfilled that and off we went
0: in a way it kind of come full circle and it's uh, it's always nice when like like you say, like you had a smaller budget but there was a lot of creativity there and you made it work and I think that that's you know, sometimes that's better. It doesn't all have to be all fancy bells and whistles. It's sometimes just nice when, you know
1: that... Yeah, but again when you when when you're when you you're not working in the industry mm. you go, well there's all that money we can we can spend it on this but you can't. there's not actually that amount of money but yet yeah, that you have to produce stuff. You know, everything is very, very tight and getting tighter. Yeah. So even if you've got double your budget, you're still looking at how you create the same effect by saving. So you're kind of indoctrined and conditioned into getting the most you can for your buck, no matter whatever the budget is. I got asked on one occasion at GMTV um, by the head of finance, can I can I rewrite the 2 budget for... 30%, 40%, and 50% less. And we went, well, we can do 30% and 40%, but we're not doing 50%. And we thought, we have to, and we refuse to do it. So we cannot make this show. We cannot make Tunatic on half the budget. It's impossible. Hmm. So we never did it. We, we, never, we, we did a 30 and 40%. And even then, it was, it was close to the mark. But um, even, even back then, when money was, was kind of like more readily available, they're still looking at cutting.
0: Yeah. That's,
1: that's, that's why you don't get as many studio live-based studio shows like you did, you know, back in the eighties when CBBC was kind of ruling the roost on that because they're really expensive, and because you've got so many um, channels now, kids are they're um, cartoon loyal, should we say, or, or production loyal rather than channel loyal. So if you're a SpongeBob fan, for example you'll watch it on CBBC, and if it suddenly flicks over to Cartoon Network, you'll watch it on that. You're, and you're, wherever SpongeBob goes, you'll find it. Whereas before, we had a couple of shows, you had BBC One or ITV, ITV One, and you'd, you'd watch the show. Now, now it, it's kind of cartoon loyalty as opposed to channel loyalty.
0: Yeah, it's a great shame, um, and I feel like I was part of that last generation where it was children's television was on after school or a weekend on the terrestrial channels, and that was it. Yeah. But then, you know, in the 2000s, all these digital channels came about, and the more children's channels there are, the more the audience is divided up into smaller pieces, and, and you know, it's had a yeah. knock-on effect. You know, the, the budgets have gotten smaller. and Well, exactly, that's yeah. the
1: thing, the budgets have become a lot less. When I was a kid, when I was a kid... Um, I'm watching um, kids TV. You now you have two, and then three. So you have BBC One and ITV, and then they do a bit on BBC Two. So you have three channels. I think the last count there were something like 26 or 27 designated children's channels now.
0: Yeah, yeah. You loads. Know? So you go
1: from three to 26. That's probably more now. But um, you know, so the budgets are rapidly reduced.
0: Yeah, and also we've got stuff like Netflix now and all that. So
1: <laughs> exactly, but it's silly things as well, like more children um, between a, what the demographic is now it was kind of similar to what we wanted for kids shows So, uh, depending on the time of, of of air, so let's just say 7 to 13 year olds for example um, more children in between the age of 7 and 13 will watch EastEnders um, than they did children's programs which actually meant that EastEnders was the biggest children's show on, you know, in, in the country what? That, <laughs> Do I mean? You might get half a million kids watching a CBBC show, but you'll get a million kids watching EastEnders.
0: I could not sit and watch that as a ch- child and I could certainly not watch it now. But <laughs> <It's crazy. laughs>
1: well, you get the point i you get the yes. point I'm
0: making. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. No, it is it is a shame. Things have changed a lot since since then. It yeah. is it is crazy. Um so it's it's been great chatting about all all those, you know, great shows. I mean what I wanna what I wanna know now is, you know, what you're up to these days, you know, what what do you do?
1: Uh, well I had to make it a very conscious decision because I went from that on to uh late-night ITV and was doing some of the gambling stuff for them. And yeah. uh, then reality TV kicked in. So the jobs that you know I would normally have auditioned for or be put forward for would now now naturally go to um, reality TV people. I, I refrain from using the word stars. Um, and like I said, i still got to feed people. So I, I came out of doing the um, the late-night stuff because it was just, there wasn't enough money involved in it. And I actually met some, some, some people whilst I was in a particular office, doing Nickelodeon stuff. So I ended up working for, for two of my friends, um, and I move. We move money around the globe. So whether it's you're going on holiday, or whether it's a, a company buying media stuff, or whatever it has to be, we shift the move, move the money around. Hmm. Um, and there's stuff that we're doing and looking at at the moment with a with a media angle in that which we're trying to develop, which I shall kind of help help run on that side of things. So I don't I don't really do much media at the moment. It's more in the financial sector. Um, with a with a look at hopefully getting this media division up and running. So come come back to me in three months and I'll let you know where it worked.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, I mean if if they said, you know, Jamie, we want you back on children's television to do weekend mornings <laughs> again, would you do it?
1: It's a difficult one to answer that because
0: <laughs> who knows those
1: shows, those shows don't exist anymore
0: no they don't but they should do you know hypothetically if they said like yeah we're going to bring them all back you know which...
1: well provided they offer me a very long contract with uh <laughs> with an increase in salary that reflects the 10 years i've not been there <laughs> then i consider it yeah <laughs> but they, they they wouldn't be offering that kind of money anymore they, they're probably not
0: no no especially in these uncertain times as well <laughs> no exactly yeah And uh, you know, if anybody wants to kind of follow what you're up to, or you know, share their memories of watching you on TV, where can I find you online? What's your social media?
1: Oh, I've got an Instagram page, um, uh, Facebook, TV Jamie Rickers, uh, I've got Twitter, all the usual: Facebook, Mm. Twitter, Instagram. I'm I'm on all those. You can find me on find me on those. I don't I don't use it that much, but um, yeah, if you, I always check it. Yeah. I very rarely post stuff, So if people want to, um, like you did,
2: mm-hmm.
1: drop me a message and, I, and I'll, I'll read it. And I'll, I'll, if anybody sends a personal message, I, I, I reply to all of them.
0: That's great. That's 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 you know really sound of you, I think. You know, because not everybody well, that's,
1: does. That's, that's an old Andy Peters thing. That was Andy mm-hmm. talked me that very early on. Anybody that, that writes in anything, anything personal to them, he would always work his way through it. Um, and I never forgot that, so I do exactly the same. I don't get as much as I used to, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, and, any any messages that I do get, um, I I always reply.
0: Yeah, and if anybody wants to message you and, and say you know share their memories of watching you, um, you'll be happy to uh, oh, receive absolutely.
1: it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Or ask them an advice. I'm more than happy to. I mean, I lecture quite a bit at universities, and
0: uh, people are trying
1: to get into the industry. And i will you know, look, I had a lot a lot of people help. Well, a lot of people offered to help me. Only a few did. Um, so I always remember that. So if I say I'll help, I'll always help. Yeah. So people help me, and, and that's, I think that's important.
0: Definitely, definitely. And, and when you, you lecture at universities, um, obviously, you know, the the, the the students there would have been kids at the time of when you were on telly. Do a lot of them come up to you and say, I remember watching you on, on television and stuff like that? Yeah,
1: so, sometimes they come up and so say, I remember watching you, it was great. Other them just want to, you know, smash me in the face. <laughs> 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 no, they're, they're all good, really, yeah, yeah. It's, it's usually kind of like, what was it like? How did you get into it? There's yeah. a story I get all the time happening. How did you start? Um, that's that's the main one. And then how to survive in it.
0: Mm, yeah. and
1: there, there are little tricks on how to survive, but you have to find your own way, really.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Well, Jamie, it's been great chatting about your time on children's television and, and hearing your memories. It's been really good. Thank you so much for taking part today.
1: Uh, thank you for asking. I love every second of it. Anytime.
0: Fantastic. So for you, take care. Take care.
1: Thanks, Jack. Take care, buddy.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you for listening, and a big thanks as well to Jamie for taking part. Do follow him on Twitter and send him your tunatic memories. Well, that's it for another podcast, but there will be another one next month. And, of course, you can listen to any of the previous editions too. There's plenty to choose from. Until next time, I'll see you soon.